This is a conversation with David Smith. Hi, David. Good morning. So, uh, David, you're a writer, and you also teach writing. That's right. Mm -hmm. I've been interested in writing uh, all my life, uh, and uh, been fortunate to have a little success at it, and uh, have also begun to coach other creatives in their own work. Mm -hmm. So, maybe in this conversation we're going to be drawing both on uh, your own experience in your creative endeavors and also on uh, your experiences uh, as a coach to other writers and creative people to talk a little bit more about the process of, um, of creativity, of making something happen. Sounds good. So, we have to enter this one way or another, maybe we can take the plunge and see what comes up with just a broad question of, uh, you know, what about this process. Okay. Um, well, I can speak best from my own writing experience. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think that Well, I know writers best, and I, I assume this applies to any creative. Um, uh, writers, I think, need to inhabit um, two minds uh, at once. Um, they uh, they have to put their um, sort of editor judging self uh, off to one side and. Uh, get in touch with uh, sort of an original, um, I'll use the word primitive, uh, I'll use the word innocent self uh, who does the creating. Mm -hmm. And they have to, they have to trust that what interests them is the right path to take. It, it is very much creativity is very much a process of discovery. And the only way that you can discover is to have uh, very few preconceived notions. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm going to interrupt you here to say just something that in what you said there's um, an assumption that you know maybe many people um, share and are aware of, but some people may not be actually aware of that difference between the two minds, and that's maybe where some of the uh, creative process goes awry. You're talking about um, be having, being aware of the presence of two minds, the critical one and that, uh, you know, more um, curious, childlike uh, part. And So maybe are in your experience is everybody really aware of that, or do you have is there some problem sometimes in people having the two confused? Oh, I think I think people have a lot of trouble. I think even practiced creatives have uh, difficulty letting go of their uh, the critical judgment and uh, trusting their more spontaneous, uh, innocent self. To explore freely, I really think that is—that's the trick. I think that that makes the difference between fresh, original work 
and work that somehow is bland, um, that looks repetitive, that looks like something else you've seen. Um, if it's fresh and original, if it feels right to the creator, then they need to trust that it will also feel fresh, original to the eventual audience mm -hmm. or observer. Uh, and any judgment about value, any judgment about going astray, has got to be put on hold until a later point, until the until the, uh, the, the discovery process has had a chance to work itself out. Um, that, that that's an important dis distinction. I think that the I think that the, um, the the creator has to follow the fresh instinct and not evaluate it until the instinct has had a chance to reveal itself fully. Right. So maybe then, uh, for people who are not necessarily as familiar with these two uh, parts of the mind, um, could we talk a little bit about the characteristics of each? I mean, a way how they manifest, how to recognize them, what the, uh, uh, you know, what they are, um, so people can be a little bit more aware of each of them as it manifests. Mm -hmm. mind, I think, is easiest to identify. Those are the voices that um, that say, oh, this is stupid, this will never work, what a lame brain idea that is, uh, who do you think you are to try to pull off something of that size, um, who are you to think you've got anything that important to say, you're going at it all wrong. You've got better things to do with your time and money. All those voices that get in there and and judge and resist and interrupt the the free flow of, of the creative instinct that that's that's the critical mind that we're trying to put on hold. Okay, great. So so very and, that, and, and let me just say that that critic is. We have to recognize where that critic comes from. Mm -hmm. That critic is trying to save us. That critic doesn't want us to be hurt. Mm -hmm. so it brings up all the cautionary uh, advice it can think of. And we have to thank that critic for being there and then tell it to go take a walk around the block <laughs> uh, while a more innocent, fresh, curious, we have to let ourselves not know while we pursue the creative impulse. Um, uh, and, and that is, uh, that's a bit more hard, that's a bit harder to describe. Uh, the, the best is to, to uh, think of, try to remember when you were creating as a child, uh, before you knew that certain colors had to be in certain places, um, that certain ideas were better or worse. Before you took 
your college courses and learned that this was good literature, that was not good literature. Before you had all those critical dimensions um, uh, taught to you, what was the free, the free spirit that did the exploring? That's that's where you need to return. Mm. So it's it work. It it, it 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 can. Once you become an adult, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a difficult state of mind to get back to, and it takes practice. And uh, it, it's it's why so many artists are seen to be odd or childlike. Um, they are protecting that fresh vision of, of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in a way, uh, you know, regaining innocence lost, but uh, that innocence is lost because uh, the uh, adult part uh, is is really uh, uh, can be so influenced by the critic who acts with a good intention of protecting, you know, the child against the dangers of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as you describe these two parts, maybe uh, is there a way to recognize these two parts in terms of body feeling, body sense, felt sense, uh, when you're in, in one of them or the other? Sure. The, 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 the critic, um, As you wish to begin creating, as you sit down to the desk, or as you begin to uh, think about setting up your easel or whatever whatever your medium is, the critic is the one that introduces uh, tension, that introduces uh, self-doubt. Um, I would say that for me, the, the the creative mode for me is a very solitary place. Um, I I need to be alone. I need to withdraw from even those um, I love most and with whom I'm most intimate and those who um, understand me best. I need to withdraw even from them um, so that there's no interruption, no sense of of an outside presence to this. And then, for me, it's as if the walls close in. Um, I sometimes describe it as going down a rabbit hole, um, where um, well, it's almost a tunnel vision. There's just me at, and the pad, uh, the, the paper. And um, even beyond that, there is... Uh, <laughs> It's as if I'm watching a, a, a dream play um, forward in, 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 toward the front of my head, and, and my whole vision is, is inside. Uh, I'm watching something unfold. I couldn't tell you where it comes from. I don't, I don't have much uh, sense of controlling it with my rational mind. It's as if I'm an observer to something that has has its own life and I follow it and record it. Um, 
I give it a push every now and then. I think this would be a good thing to do. That would be. But it's a, it's a process of following following something that is taking shape in the moment and I'm allowing it to take shape and it's, it's, it's more that I'm following than directing and judging. Yeah. yeah. I'm letting it unfold, I'm trusting that if I like it, if I, if I like the feeling of it unfolding, I just stay and let it unfold. Yeah. I let the, character, I let the characters say what they're going to say, I let the, the description of a place be what it is and sometimes there's an object in the room I didn't know was going to be there. Sometimes a character says something I never thought she would say. Uh, but when when uh, when creative people talk about um, being in touch with their muse, uh, I think it's something like this: when they say that they had that they didn't create the work, they were simply the conduit for something beyond themselves that created the work. They're trying to describe this experience. Yes. So uh, there's a, a dreamlike quality to it of, uh, you know, entering into this inner space, this rabbit hole, and then uh, just in a way watching things unfold as opposed to pulling the strings and making things happen. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, dreaming while you're awake. It's like a, it's like a daydream that you record as it happens. It's not simply looking out the window and realizing you haven't been within yourself for five minutes. It's it's looking at the pad or the or the canvas or or I assume for a musician disappearing into the, the strings or the keyboard and and in that uh, sort of altered state of a of a, like a daydream recording that daydream through your medium yes so that's where you know the active part is it's not just being as in a dream uh, spectator but also at the same time the recording so that transmission yeah. without you know without um, without the uh, interaction with the, the editor the critical mind just transmitting the experience in as pure a way as possible. Yes, that's right. The, the only way that I think the editor is in there is to the extent that the creative person is good at uh, her medium. You know, she knows what colors mix well. Um, she knows what next uh, pluck of a string will get will create the sound she already experiences from inside. You know, he, he knows he knows what words will serve the the scene will serve that he's writing. Um, you have you have to be you have to be competent and practice the more you practice of course the more competent you become and then the freer you are to Record that that um, inner sensation. Yeah. So Does that makes sense. 
Yes, it makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, you know, and as you talk about it this way, there's a shift between um, what you talked about earlier of that voice being a critical voice saying this is not right or you don't know or you should, your time would be better spent this or that uh, to actually being, uh, you know, shifting to the editor or in fact the craftsman and uh, where that craftsman is under the control of the creative part. Yeah, I think that's a nice word, Serge, craftsman. Um, yeah, that, that is the part of us that is practiced at our medium and, and, uh, and able to realize uh, the, inner, the inner vision, the inner impulse. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then, of course, when it's all done, um, there is a sort of a judgment that, that comes along later that says, well, you know, this turned out well, this turned out not so well. Uh, this is something I would keep in my house, but I wouldn't try to sell mm-hmm. in a gallery or, or show to a publisher. Um, there's, there's various levels of what you do with it when it's done. But I think the true artist doesn't worry so much about that. I, you know, if you're... To, to write consciously for a certain market, to, to write because you feel, you know, you've got to get another novel out there to pay the mortgage, um, that's a very, very difficult spot to be in. Um, because your, your freedom is impinged, you, you're, you're already writing from a judgmental point of view. Um, he, you know, these these those writers are the are the formula writers. You know, those are the true romance writers, or the or the uh, or the spy novel writers who seem to crank out a a hefty novel every you know once a year in time for the summer <laughs> the mm-hmm. summer beach market. <laughs> uh, they've got to write more market focused with a with with a formula they know will sell that's different from the kind of creativity i'm talking about um, they they are they have they have common elements but i i'm talking about something that's free of even market sensibility market judgment um, more of a free discovery process yeah yeah yeah, so that um, the process itself, that uh, that discovery, and you know, not including the the discovery, not just the experience, but the the discovery of the way in which um, you make it, you translate it into a writing or a painting or a piece of music. Uh, that itself, that process, is the reward in the uh, in what you're describing. I think it has to be. I think that I think boy, if you don't if you don't like entering that uh, dream state uh, for its own sake, I don't think you can. I don't think you can ever really hope to uh, get much out of the, the creative process. Um, and 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 this again is where the where the critical voice comes in. This again is where um, 
our educational system, I think, works against creativity. You know, if we if we write something and uh, as a child, and our experience is that the teacher, you know, uh, criticizes it early on, tells us it's no good, um, judges it, gives it a C minus, um, rather than trying to identify what in it is is uh, so fresh and valuable. And and uh, and exciting. Uh, the, the child closes down very quickly in terms of every th- ever thinking of herself as a creative. Yeah. So you're talking about how there is a way in which the child has the kind of treatment where the teacher, the adult, uh, keeps asking him, "Oh, I'm interested in what you have to say." And on the other hand, the experience of the child hearing, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. So in a way you don't, I'm not interested in what you have to say unless it corresponds to what I consider good. That's, that's right. That's very damaging uh, to the creative spirit. And I believe that people who go on and think of themselves as creative in their adult life must have had some encouragement and some modeling early on. Somewhere they got permission. Uh, very fortunate that they can find the permission later in life. But um, I think I think it's a privilege to grow up in a situation where you have adults around you who are wise enough to see the creativity is a um, is a is an asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think in some strict cultures, strict households, creativity is seen as a threat, uh, a danger to the status quo. Um, I think it takes some secure adults to understand that creativity is a uh, is an asset to the person and all the all the others that that person will encounter. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it also, um, when we put it this way, um, it creates a path for people who want to develop their own creativity and to look at it as something that is a renegotiating of uh, the relationship with the internalized parent, and the internalized teacher, um, and the internalized critic. Uh, and get to a part where this internalized critic uh, lets go of imposing, you know, strict, rigid sense of what is right and wrong, and develops the ability to giving room to the uh, inner child uh, to have that curiosity and uh, search for self-expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that uh, with with statements like that, we're we're uh, able to go even beyond the closed notion of artistic creativity and talk about uh, creative vision in any field, um, you know, entrepreneurial vision, uh, people who develop uh, new new uh, systems within business, uh, new ideas within government. Uh, they, they have an internal permission that what they notice is 
what what they can suggest, what they can offer, uh, can be valuable. They have an internal permission um, that lets them then uh, explore, suggest, lead mm-hmm. to, to a to a next step. Um, so I think I think now we're talking about creativity, uh, large scope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that. Uh uh, you know, and that, that large scope, uh, creativity is, uh, uh, that sense of in an adult age, whether or not you have had, you know, these ideal conditions of, um, you know, permission for your creativity to exist, your childlike, uh, exploration spirit, that you regain it and you develop it by renegotiating that relationship with the critic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think it's I think it's hard work uh, for an adult who has grown in a in a uh, in a restrictive environment to learn that later in life. But I hope it can be done. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so maybe in a way also by uh, calling it hard work, I think there is a part that uh, puts it in perspective and doesn't. Let the, you know, understand the person who's been doing it to not feel discouraged and saying, oh, I'm really not good as I was told in my childhood. But to say, no, it's hard work. It's going to be hard to, to redo this. It's not such an easy task. So it's normal that you might feel some difficulty and, uh, uh, you know, keep at it. It's not just a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're not good at it. Right. And, and, and I think, yes, that's yes. Uh, and, and they do well to have uh, a trusted other who um, will stay with them, yeah. and 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 receive their their first attempt, a mentor perhaps, yeah, uh, or or some trusted other who will receive and encourage their first attempt uh, until they get stronger and stronger and more self-trusting. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're really talking about, uh, you know, going back at the roots of what created the problem, in order to uh, to uh, you know reinitialize, rebuild, you know, what was not built at the beginning, erase the effects of uh, you know that negative imprinting, and um, and uh, and build from there. Yeah, yeah, and then, and 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 do the best we can from there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm sort of an optimist. I, I, uh, I don't think the creative impulse ever dies, um, but it, but it sure can become diminished. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, I think the spark, uh, I think that creative spark comes out in everybody somewhere. It may be, it may be the way you. Um, uh, choose a color for your living room, or it may be the way you choose your clothes in the morning. Um, it, 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 it may be small and private like that, but you know, we make choices, we have ideas, um, we take small risks, we show people who we are in some aspect of our lives, I think, no matter who we are. And so it's still there. Um, for the person who wants to make it larger, yes, that's 
that perhaps is work. But you know, that's very nice when you put it this way to say, you know, it's going to manifest in small things no matter what, you know, including a choice of color. So what it, it evokes is a sense of instead of focusing on, you know, the creativity you don't have is, you know, which is essentially the work of the critic, you know, to part, to, to put your focus on in what way is my creativity expressing itself, even very small, and to notice these ways and nurture them uh, as a stepping stone toward, uh, you know, growth. Yes. Yeah. You know, I try to think of the most rigid uh, uh, culture, and perhaps that's a real strict military culture, for instance, where there's no expression in clothing, there's no... There's, almost no self-expression in behavior. Uh, and yet, I think um, every one of uh, those most rigid sort of folks probably has a, a hobby, uh, probably has uh, a talent with uh, uh, something they do when they socialize, um, might express themselves through a small musical instrument. I think there must be something that the human spirit finds to do, even in the most restrictive of environments. Great. I'd like to think so. Yeah, great. So that feels very nice and very hopeful. So, really, uh, thanks, David. Oh, you're welcome. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com. This way to say, you know, it's going to manifest in small things no matter what, you know, including a choice of color. So what it, it evokes is a sense of instead of focusing on, you know, the creativity you don't have is, you know, which is essentially the work of the critic, you know, to part, to, to put your focus on in what way is my creativity expressing itself, even very small, and to notice these ways and nurture them uh, as a stepping stone toward, uh, you know, growth. Yes. Yeah. You know, I try to think of the most rigid uh, uh, culture, and perhaps that's a real strict military culture, for instance, where there's no expression in clothing, there's, no, there's almost no self-expression in behavior. Uh, and yet, I think... Um, every one of uh, those most rigid sort of folks probably has a, a hobby, uh, probably has uh, a talent with uh, uh, something they do when they socialize, um, might express themselves through a small musical instrument. I think there must be something that the human spirit finds to do, even in the most restrictive of environments. Great. I'd like to think so. Yeah, great. So that feels very nice and very hopeful. So really, uh, thanks, David. Oh, you're welcome. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.